following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're in James chapter 1, and this morning we are only looking at a few verses. Sometimes what James does is just focus on one subject for a few verses, and then he'll move on. He jumps quite a bit, so I don't want to gloss over uh, things too quickly, but there's times we just need to focus in on just a few verses because there's real depth and wisdom in what he's saying. And so chapter 1 of James, if you've got the Bible, your Bible out there, or you've got it on your device, follow along. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Okay, so James is talking about anger. I want to set this up with a video clip. Uh, it's a clip from the movie Mum's Night Out, or Mom's Night Out. And this is a scene in which a mother of young children, stay-at-home mother, is blogging about her experience as a mum. Let's watch the screen. It's 5 a.m. Do you know where your children are? Mine are in bed. I should be in bed. It's Mother's Day. But I'm not. Want to know why? I'm a clean freak. I am talking freaky deaky Dutch. If you were to lock me away in a white room in a straitjacket, it would actually feel comforting. As long as the walls were spotless and nobody wore shoes. I can actually feel the house getting dirty. Like I have nerve endings in the carpet. And it affects me. Want to know how? First, I feel distracted. Distracted. D-I-S-O. So, see, like right now, I'm thinking of the cleaning supplies I left out and how one of the kids is going to get up and drink Clorox and then I'd end up having to call poison control and they'd say, sorry, Mrs. Field, too many times this month and take my kids away. Too many times this month, Miss Field. We're here to take your children away. I've played it all out. I'm sure you've played this all out. Which is kind of morbid. After I feel distracted, I feel stressed. Then I have a moment. having a moment with my daughter. Hon, about the stress level. What? Well, it's a little high. Gee, uh, the kind of psycho thing you just did? Did you just call me psycho? No. Did you just call no. me psycho? No, no. It was a little psycho. This is me having a moment with some helpless newlyweds. We just wanted to say congratulations and savor this moment in your life. So when I started to speak, I, I thought it would help. But then the words just started coming out of me like lava. You're going to blink seriously like blink, and it's all going to be over and replaced with just volume. Like, just amazing, amazing, beautiful volume. Look at that. Look at that look on her face. That's the look of a girl whose fairy tale just ended. I murdered it. I am a fairy tale murderer. It only takes so much before you crack. the Bruce Banner of stay-at-home moms. He doesn't want to turn into the Hulk. It just happens. 
Which is exactly how I feel. I love my kids. I love my husband. My, my minivan, my minivan is awesome. I have this incredible life. So, why do I feel this way? Anyone relate to that? Not just mums, right? I never considered myself an angry person before I had kids. It's not something I ever struggled with, you know, I was a reasonably calm person, I thought. I, you know, I didn't have a short fuse, I was a reasonably cool-headed kind of person. And then you add three boys into the mix, and now anger is like my biggest vice. It's, my, it's just a constant reality in my head and in our house, just this temptation constantly to be angry. So Anna and I can relate to that, parents, you can, you can relate to this. Anna said to me the other day, she said, I just feel like I wake up ready to get angry. I'm just like ready when we wake up. We have, we have about half an hour in theory between when we wake up and when the first of our kids wakes up, and that's just usually time we're preparing to get angry for the day. So we're just going through the routine to get ready to get angry, and then sure enough, within about 30 seconds of the kids getting up, something's happened, someone said something, and one of them's angry at the other one, or they're angry at us, or we're angry at them, or well, most of the time, we're all just angry at each other, this big vicious cycle of anger, and that's all before breakfast is on the table. So... This is just, welcome to our house, you know, this is, the anger is a constant daily reality. Come on, parents, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is all of us. But it's not just parents, is it? This is, it's not just a parenting issue. We get angry with all kinds of people. You get angry with people at work. Various situations come up, they make you angry. You get angry with, with people at school. You get angry at people at university. You get angry at your neighbors sometimes. Neighbors can be a big source of anger. You get angry at people you don't even know. You get angry at just random people that do dumb stuff. They drive stupidly. Um, or they, like if you're in a minority culture and someone from the dominant culture, the majority culture, starts making slightly racist remarks or stereotypical remarks, makes you angry. You have those times, you just get, you feel that Anger, understandably. We get angry at, at businesses. We get angry at organizations. We get angry at governments. We get angry at councils. Uh, the, you know, faceless organizations. We don't even know the people that work for these organizations, but we perceive they've done something to us that affects us negatively. We feel anger. We get angry at ourselves, yeah? A lot of the time, that's where a lot of anger comes from. We get angry at God. Sometimes something happens in the church. Some, some other Christian does something to us. We blame God for that. We get angry with him. We think these things, various things are his fault. So there's all kinds of anger. It takes so many different forms. It comes from so many different places. It has so many different expressions. But anger is a universal human experience. We all struggle with anger to one degree or other in one way or another, right? We all do. Come on, let's just be honest this morning. We all fight this battle at times. And so what James is saying is relevant to all of us, okay? There's no one exempt. We all need this wisdom. We all need to hear what James is saying. So let me come back and read the, the key verse that James talks about anger in uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. This is really the heart of it. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't get angry. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, he never says, the Bible never says, don't get angry. He could have said that. He could have said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and never get angry. But he didn't. He said, be slow to anger. And so straight away, there's this idea that anger 
is not always bad. It's not categorically bad. There must be somehow a good kind of anger and a bad kind of anger. And James knew this because, remember, he was the brother of Jesus. And he grew up with Jesus. And he observed a lot of Jesus' public ministry, even though he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He would have listened. He would have observed. And he would have known about that time when Jesus walked into the temple. Some of you know the story in the Gospels. Jesus walks into the temple And he sees people buying and selling things in the sacred place. And what does he do? Overturns the tables. He drives the, in fact, he makes a whip. He makes a whip and he drives people out of the temple with a whip. I mean, he is fired up. Jesus got angry. He was enraged. He was incensed. And James knew that. He knew that story. And at the same time, he knew and he'd come to believe that Jesus was absolutely sinless because he was the son of God. And so James knows that you can't say that anger is categorically bad because Jesus got angry and Jesus is the sinless son of God. And James knew furthermore, he knew his Old Testament. He was a good Jewish man and he knew in the Old Testament there's plenty of times when God gets angry. Plenty of times when God's anger flares up and God's wrath burns against people and yet God is God and obviously God is without sin. And so there's no way you can say that anger is always bad because Jesus got angry and God got angry. And so James is careful with his language. He's careful with his words and he doesn't say, don't get angry. He says, be slow to anger. And so straight away he implies this idea that there is a good kind of anger and there is a bad kind of anger. And the challenge for us is figuring out how do you tell the difference? How do you know when it's good anger? How do you know when it's bad anger? Well, the determining question, the key determining question is why? Why? Why are you getting angry? Where is the anger coming from? What's driving the anger? What's the motivation behind the anger? Think about when Jesus walked into that temple. Where was the anger coming from? What was motivating that anger? Well, fundamentally, the anger that Jesus expressed was motivated by love. It was motivated by his love, in that instance, for his heavenly father, his love for God and his love for God's house, the temple. And he couldn't stand the thought that God's house was being desecrated in this way, that it was being commercialized in this way. That broke his heart. That made him angry. But that anger was coming out of a place of love. His love he so loved his heavenly father that he was grieved. And that's where the anger came from. So that was, it was good anger. When anger is motivated by love, when it's coming out of selflessness, When it's coming out of a love for God, a love for other people, it can be good anger. I heard a little snippet of um, a father of one of the victims of the recent Florida shooting speaking at a town hall meeting in the States a week or so ago. And he was angry. You could hear it in his voice. You could hear it in his tone. He was angry. And at times, yeah, I think he crossed a line with what he said, but That anger, you could tell, that anger was coming out of his love for his daughter that he'd lost, who had been gunned down. That anger was coming out of a desire for no other parent to ever have to go through what he had had to go through. That anger was coming from a place of love, a love that had, that had been wrecked. And it was a desire to uphold and to try and preserve relationship and love that other people have with their children. That anger was coming from a good place. When anger comes from a good place, it can be good love. It's, you think about Martin Luther King Jr. in the 1960s railing against racial injustice in the United States. It's good anger. He got angry. It was coming from a good 
place. It's the anger of a spouse whose husband and wife has been unfaithful. That's a good anger. Anger is an appropriate response. That doesn't mean it's permission to come completely unhinged. How you express the anger still matters. But that anger is driven by a love for the other person and the fact that love has been betrayed and that love has been broken. It's been desecrated. That rightly makes you angry. See, it's in certain circumstances, anger is healthy. In fact, if you walk around saying, I never struggle with anger. I, never, I have never been angry about anything or anyone ever in my life. First of all, you're lying. Second of all, that's, there's no virtue in that. God got angry. Jesus gets angry in the right way and at the right time. God actually wants us to feel something. You know, anger comes from passion, and passion is a good thing. When we see poverty, it should make us angry. When we see injustice, it should make us angry. When we see things that make God angry, it should make us angry. Otherwise, you've got to check yourself. It's a good thing to get angry in certain situations if we manage it carefully. Maybe a good question to ask is, is this the kind of thing Jesus would get angry at? Is this the kind of thing that would make God angry or not? Because on the other side of good anger is bad anger. And that's anger that's just driven by selfishness. So it's just, that anger is just about my interests, my agenda, my reputation, my inconvenience, my schedule, my rights, my authority, whatever it might be. It's just coming from me. It's just really all about me. So it's that situation where you go to the check-in desk at the airport and the person at the counter says, I'm sorry, madam, I'm sorry, sir, your flight has been delayed. And you just lose your rag. In fact, I heard of one situation where someone, that happened to them, and they literally kicked the counter. They just started kicking the desk, kicking the flight center counter. Now, what is, you can't control that situation. That person can't control that situation. It is completely outside of either of your control, but you just erupt in anger. That anger is just coming from a place of selfishness. I mean, the, it might be a real hassle. It might be a real problem. It might be a real inconvenience. But at the end of the day, that is still just about you. And anger is not an appropriate response to that situation. So the first question we've got to ask when we're in these situations, deciding on response, and I know this happens in a split second, but the question is why? Why am I getting angry? Where is this anger? What is, follow the anger all the way down and try and understand what's the root, what's the cause, what's the source. Is this just coming from a place of selfishness or is it motivated by love? If it's motivated by love, maybe anger is an appropriate response in an appropriate way. If it's coming out of selfishness, we need to choose another response. We need to follow another path. Anger is not the right road to walk in that situation. So the first question is why? Why are we getting angry? Because there's good anger and there's bad anger. Now, let's come back to what James says here. Let me read this verse again. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, that phrase, slow to become angry or slow to anger, some of your translations say, James has lifted that phrase, that, that, those words, straight out of the Old Testament. That phrase is used several times in the Old Testament. You heard one of them in that, in that song this morning describing God's character. The earliest time that it's mentioned, I want to read this passage to you, is in Exodus 34. And this is an important passage because it's a passage in which God is describing his own character. He's describing his character to Moses. He's describing his nature to Moses. So this is not other people talking about God. This is not theologians talking about God. This is God 
talking about God. He's saying, this is who I am. So listen to this verse, verse 6 of Exodus 34. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so one of the qualities that God mentions that he has, that he possesses, is that he is slow to anger. And the Hebrew words there, it's the phrase, erek apayim. And you know what it literally means, that phrase, erek apayim? It means having a long nose. That's literally what God says. I've got a long nose. So if you're one of those people that likes to translate the Bible literally, God is literally saying to Moses, I have a long nose, Moses. Among all these other qualities, he's passing Moses by saying, I've got a long nose. And I don't, I don't know what the connection is, the particular connection between having a long nose and being slow to anger. I don't think anyone really knows. I, possibly it's something to do with the fact that when you, go, when you get angry, apparently your nose goes red, you know that idea. And so I guess if God's got a really long nose, maybe it takes a really long time to go red, that's, so therefore he's slow to anger. I don't know. Nobody knows. The Jews had some interesting metaphors and sayings. But anyway, having a long nose, that's what that means. And it's translated slow to anger or sometimes long-suffering. And so what James is doing is saying that that's the way God describes himself. He is slow to anger. And now James is taking that character trait of God and he is applying it to Christians. So you see what he's doing. He he said, it's not that we can't get angry. It's that our anger should conform to God's anger. We should deal with the emotion of anger in the same way God deals with the emotion of anger. Our anger should reflect his character and his nature. And the way God gets angry is that he is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. And certainly as you read the stories in the Old Testament, God puts up with a lot before he gets angry. I mean, he hangs in there for a long, long time with people before he finally gets angry. And then even when he gets angry, when God gets angry, his anger is always in, in a very measured kind of way. It's always in a very controlled way. You never get the feeling in the Old Testament or in the Bible that God just loses it. You know, you never get the idea that God loses control of himself, that God just becomes unhinged. But when he gets angry, it's a measured, it's an appropriate, it's a disciplined response that is in proportion to the situation that's in front of him. So he gets angry, but it's always an appropriate kind of anger. Now, compare that to the way we get angry, right? Someone says something, bang, you're angry. You just flip, we just have this rage that just erupts within us like a volcano. Words just start pouring out of our mouth like lava, like that woman was saying. We just get angry. We lose our fuse. We lose our cool. We just lash out. We have this impulsive anger within us, and we just start saying words that often later on we're going to regret. It's not always like that, though, is it? That's kind of the classic form of anger, lashing out, losing your rag, being really harsh with someone else face-to-face or whatever it might be. But anger takes a lot of forms, it takes a lot. For some, sometimes, some people, anger is kind of this emotional withdrawing. You know this? Some of you do this. You pull away from the other person, and you become really cool and really cold-hearted and closed off, and you kind of, like, because underneath you're seething. Underneath you're absolutely mad, and so what you're doing is punishing the other person by emotionally withdrawing from them. You know, I've perfected this. I've perfected this art. I know exactly how to have a very cold kind of tone with Anna, 
while maintaining plausible deniability. <laughs> Later on, she asks me about it. We know how to do this. You know how to have just the right tone. You can let the anger be known without tipping over the ear. We know we are masters of this, aren't we? Come on. But what about the passive-aggressive form of anger, right? This is a Kiwi specialty, passive-aggressive anger. We don't like open warfare. No, no. So we'll go around the back door and we'll, just say, we'll talk to five other people about that person. Face to face, buddy, 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 buddy. Over here, gossip, 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 gossip. Or you're going to try and find a way to make them hurt by doing this situation here. Or you're going to find a way to make them pay. Or you're going to figure out a way to get back at them somehow. It's passive aggressive. And it's all coming out of anger. That's not being slow to anger. That's being hasty and that's being rash and that's not godly anger. And that's why James says in this one little verse, and there's so much in it, he gives us these other two corollary statements besides being not be, uh, being slow to become angry, he says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. So being quick to listen, that just means practicing what one writer calls generous listening. You're in a conversation with someone, they're making you angry, they're annoying you, we practice generous listening. I try and practice this with our boys, generous listening, because you know, they'll be tell, they love to talk and they'll be telling me something about their day and some game they played at school. And most of the time, I've got it summed up within 10 seconds. I've got the data that I need. I understand the game you played. I know the rules now and I understand what you did. I've got it. I don't need any more. I can check out of the conversation. But what I'm trying to do is generous listening. So hang in there with the conversation. Let them talk. Because it's not about you, is it? Well, who's it about? It's about them. They need to feel affirmed. They need to feel heard. They need to feel listened to. So I'm trying, I'm not that great at this, but I'll try and hang in there with the conversation, even ask some questions. So how did that make you feel? And what did they do then? And how did this go? And you try, because if you can translate this into a situation where you're tempted to get angry with someone, two things will happen. One, it will increase your empathy towards the other person because you'll at least understand where they're coming from a little bit more, even if you don't agree with them. Secondly, they are less likely to get angry at you because they're going to feel heard. They're going to at least, you may not agree, but they will at least feel listened to. Be quick to listen. It's a great virtue. And then James says, be slow to speak. And this reflects one of the Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 29 verse 20, proverb that Solomon wrote, he said, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than them. Speaking in haste. Don't we, don't we do this so often, speaking in haste? You, know, you say something in the heat of the moment. You're angry, you, sit, you lash out, you say something, and then you just wish you could take the words back. You can't. It's out there. You've said it. Or it's not just speaking in haste, though, is it? I mean, it's emailing in haste. How many of you have done that? How many of you got those emails? You read the email, it's like, this is angry. Why is this email all in capital letters? Stop shouting at me. You know those emails, right? It's just this anger behind that. You feel it. Yeah, Texting in haste. How many of you have done this? Fired off a text. You're angry at someone. Angry about a situation. Fire off the text. And then later on, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That was dumb. That was the heat of the moment. What about posting in haste? Mm-hmm. Post haste. Yeah. Posting on social media in haste. You've read those kinds of posts. Some of you have sent those kinds of posts and you read it and it's like, oh, this person's just having a vent. This person's just having a rant. This is just angry. This is not good. I tell you what, in those situations, by all means, write the email. By all means, write the text. By all means, write the post. 
maybe write it in Microsoft Word so that it doesn't have any danger of actually being sent, and then sit on it and sleep on it for at least a day. Because the, the process of getting that stuff out is quite good. I mean, that is quite cathartic. That is quite therapeutic to get it out. But just don't get it right out to the world. You know, just hold on to it and then come back a day later, come back two days later, and you will see it differently. I just guarantee you, you'll have a slightly cooler head and a slightly cooler heart, and you'll look back and you might take out a few expletives and you'd maybe reword it a little bit. Or you might think, that doesn't need to be said. I just don't need to do it. I just don't need to send it. Or you might just soften the language. When we look at things, see what James is trying to do is slow us down. Because the, the tricky thing with anger is it's so quick, it's split-second responses, it's your default. You've got your default behavior. And James is saying, if you can just put a little bit of distance between the situation and your response to the situation, if you can get a second in there, if you can get three seconds in there, if you could get 10 seconds in there, you will bring such a better response into that situation than if you just go with what is instinctive and impulsive right in the heat of the moment. Just put a little bit of distance. That's what he's trying to do is slow your responses down. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry so that our anger reflects the anger, the righteous anger of God. Now, there's one other dimension of anger I want to explore here, and James doesn't deal with it directly, but it comes out of what he says. If you look in verse 20, he says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And when James talks about human anger, he's talking about bad anger, the toxic anger, the unhealthy anger, when we get angry for the wrong reasons and we get angry in the wrong way. So that kind of anger does not reflect the righteousness of God, because it's not in line with the character of God. It doesn't reflect the nature of God. If we're going to get angry, we need to make sure our anger conforms to who God is and how God gets angry. And there's one other way in which this works. Let me read you a verse from Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. So this is not just about how God gets angry. But this is about whether God stays angry. This is a big issue. And what we learn is God is slow to get angry, but his anger is quick to subside. His anger is slow to arise, and it is quick to subside. Now, how similar or different is that to you? Slow to anger, quick to subside. See, we can get angry at a person, and then we've got a grudge. And, we've got to, and we nurse it like a wound. And we can stay angry at that person for days, stay angry for weeks, months, years. And you see this, I think one of the ugliest ways this, this happens is within families, and sometimes immediate families and sometimes extended families, and I've seen this. Someone, something happens at some point in time, someone gets angry with another family member, someone gets angry with someone else in the family, and then there's this divide. And they decide they're just going to stay angry. And they're not going to talk to the person. They're not going to come to the family functions when that person's there, or they're going to shut them out. They're going to stand over the other side of the room and not talk to them. They force other family members effectively to take sides. 
because there's such, a divide, there's such a wedge now in the family that other family members find it difficult to dance around this and you feel like you've got to choose a side. That anger becomes entrenched. That person will just freeze the other one out. And this can, this can go on for decades. And you actually lose sight of what the original offense was. Sometimes the original offense wasn't even an offense. It was just a misunderstanding. There's an old saying that goes, the older I get, the more vividly I remember things that never happened. Now think about that. Isn't that true? Because what's happened is over the years and over the decades, now it's not really about the issue, it's just about the anger. Now anger has almost taken on a life of its own and it's just become embedded into the fabric of that person's character. It's come to define who they are. I've seen this carry on even after the person has died. And the angry person, they just stay angry right through the funeral. They don't come to the funeral or they, don't, they sit by themselves, or they won't talk to this person or that person, and then they start contesting the will, and it just becomes, they just will not let go of the anger. And here's the sad thing about this, is when you hold on to anger for that long, it comes to define you. It's not, at that point, you're not just carrying anger, you're an angry person. You're an angry, and we know people like this, don't we? You can see it on their face. Any little thing sets them off. They're just an angry person because they've been carrying this anger for so long. And you think, you might be in this position. You might be carrying that kind of anger for years, maybe decades. And the thing, you think you're punishing that other person. You think you're kind of holding it over them and holding a grudge, and that's somehow punishing them. You know the one that's being punished is you because it's eating up your soul. It's destroying your character. It's wrecking your life. It's just eating away at you from the inside out. You're the real victim. You're, you know, in the sense that it's, it's eating you up. It's, it's destroying you. That's what anger will do to us. But some of you maybe have been carrying anger for far, far too long. And the only way, the only way that we are going to find freedom and healing for our angry hearts is at the cross. It's the only place. Because here's what God invites you to do, is to bring all that anger that you're feeling, all that anger maybe you've been carrying for a long, long time. And some of you, you know what happens in a message like this, it comes back to the surface. Because when I start talking about these things, that anger is never far from the surface, and it starts to bubble up, and you can feel it even now. That thing that so long ago set you off, and it's still there. The only place, friends, that we're going to find freedom and healing for our angry hearts is at the cross. God invites us to bring all of our anger, all of our bitterness, all of our seething rage, all of our hatred, all of our grudges, all of our unforgiveness, all of that ugly stuff. And he invites us to lay it down at the foot of the cross. It's the only way we're going to find healing. It's the only way we're going to be set free. Because as you lay it down at the foot of the cross, you look up and you see Jesus. And you recognize that Jesus has already carried all of our anger. He's already carried it. Jesus carried all the anger. You think about the crucifixion. All the anger of the religious leaders, he absorbed all of that. All the anger of the crowd, they, they mocked him, they spat on him. They jeered at him. The crowd was angry, and Jesus just absorbed, absorbed, absorbed. First Peter says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That's how Jesus responded. He just absorbed the anger of people. But you know the hardest part is he absorbed the anger of his heavenly Father. He absorbed the anger, the righteous anger. We call it wrath. The Bible calls it wrath. 
the righteous anger of God against sin, Jesus absorbed. The one person who never deserved to have anyone get angry with him at all absorbed the fullness of the Father's wrath. The wrath of the Father was spent upon the Son, and God's righteous fury against all of our sin came down upon the innocent Son of God. That's what happened on the cross. And what that means is that Jesus has carried all of your anger and he's carried all of my anger in his body on the cross. He's already dealt with it. He's carried all the ways in which we've spoken angry words. He's carried all our angry gestures, all our angry behavior, all of our silly passive-aggressive behavior, all the grudges you've been holding for so long, all the times you've lost your rag, all the anger that's in our hearts other people might not even know about, but it's seething away. Jesus took it all upon himself on the cross. He bore that anger in his body on the cross, and he died for it, carried it to the grave and took it away so that it would no longer have power over our lives, but we could find healing and forgiveness from our anger in Jesus' name. And so now he says, come to me. Come to me. Come to the cross. Come and bring your anger. You won't find healing any other way. But as we come to the cross, Jesus is going to take that angry heart of yours, that hard heart, that heart of stone, and he's going to replace it with a heart of love with a heart of flesh, with a heart of peace. And it doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to feel completely different. You won't. The emotions of anger won't suddenly go away. For as long as you've carried that anger with you, it will take at least that long for your emotions to be reprogrammed. But Jesus says, you start by just bringing that anger to me and let me set you free. Let me break the chains of anger around your heart and start you on that path to freedom. And he invites us to do that today. So as we close this morning, as we, as we take communion, I want to invite you to respond to this in a practical kind of way. You're going to see at the sides of some of your rows a little container of stones, a little container of rocks. And I want to ask you, if you've got one of those containers down beside you, would you pick it up, take a rock, and then just start passing it along the row? And each of you just take a rock as it goes past. You may have to pass it behind you if there are no containers behind. Someone suggested this morning those rocks were to stone the preacher if... He said something that made you angry. I'm glad none of you did that. <clears throat> but as those uh, containers are going around, just take, take a little rock. I want you just to hold it in your hand. I want you to imagine or envisage that this rock, I've got one here, that this rock represents your anger and, and represents the bad anger. I, we, you know, we've talked about good anger and we get angry sometimes in the right way for the right reasons. But I want you to imagine this rock represents the bad side of anger, the negative words the angry words, you don't need to remember them all, but this just represents, sometimes it's helpful to have a physical representation of your anger. The ways that we've got angry in the wrong way and we've got angry for the wrong reason and our anger has been out of proportion to the situation and we've carried that anger too long. That's what this rock represents. And I want to invite you this morning, as you take communion and, and you go to the side tables, I want to invite you to take this rock with you as a sign of bringing your anger and your angry heart to God. And as you get to the table, I want to invite you to put the rock down just beside the communion elements somewhere there. We can create a little pile of rocks. Just place your rock there. And the, sim the symbolism of that is just laying your anger down and, and handing it over to God and saying, I don't want to carry this burden anymore. I don't want to be this angry person anymore. doesn't mean you won't struggle with anger from here on out, but it means I'm not going to let this define me. I'm not going to let this keep on holding power over me. So lay that rock down. And then as you've laid that down, then take the juice 
and the wafer and receive communion. And by doing that, what you're doing is receiving God's grace, receiving his love, receiving his forgiveness in place of the anger that you have laid down. You're laying down anger and you're taking up grace. You're laying down anger, you're picking up love. You're laying down anger and you're feeding on the peace of Christ and praying that that peace would be poured afresh into your heart. Let's pray. Father, we hold in our hands all of this anger that we feel for so many reasons. Sometimes it feels really justified. Other times we know that it's flat out wrong. We don't know why we respond the way we do sometimes, God. Sometimes it just feels like it's habits, patterns. It's hard to do much about it. But God, we just bring it all to you this morning. Bring all of our anger to you. Look back over the years of our lives. Think about all the ways in which anger has got a hold. We've succumbed to it. We've let it have power over us. We bring to you all the ways in which we've hurt other people through our angry words, angry behavior, angry responses. And God, we confess that we don't even know what some of those ways may be. But we thank you, God, that even though we are so guilty, we come to you and we find such grace that we can lay our anger down and we can be forgiven and we can be set free completely and thoroughly. We thank you, God, that you wash us clean when we come to you and you clothe us again in the righteousness of your son, Jesus. So this morning we bring you the anger in our hearts and we lay it down and we drink deeply of your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. We pray you deal with the anger in our heart. Soften that anger. Turn it into love. And may we be people of peace, people of love, and people of joy as we leave this place this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.